Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host with the most, Shanna. It's Pugwa PJ. Hooray! Happy New Year. Woo! Happy almost birthday to me. Yeah. That's right. How you feeling? I, I'm good. How are you feeling? My throat hurts. Yeah. I'm gonna drink this tea. Mmm, it's yeah. delicious. Tell about your leg. Oh, well, we talked about this last Did we? episode. Did we? Yeah, because I, I introduced myself as Broken PJ. Mm-hmm. Broke Brokwa PJ. You were broken, then you had COVID. And then, then I, I got, got more, and I got news that I was more broken than they initially thought. <laughs> exactly. The part. I got new broken. <laughs> when the original broken, broken is 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta show up. Yeah. We go in for a CT scan, and it's a list of broken bones, not just like one or two. <laughs> so, Nurse Jackie, if you're out there, which I know you are, it is way worse than we initially thought. thought. Yeah. That CT scan. But the good news it's is a list. No tendons. <laughs> yes. So, no surgery. And then you got COVID. That mm-hmm. was your gift from Disney. Disney mm-hmm. was great. Um, I did not get COVID, but I got sick from head cold from Alex. Yep. And now my throat's killing me. Yep. Which is terrible because on Tuesday, I'm supposed to be doing a big presentation for the last part of my dissertation. <laughs> Hooray. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to get better. <laughs> but we are using new technology. Yes. So hopefully our mics will come across as like crystal clear and amazing. Yeah. So what are they? They are sure podcasting mics. This I forget arm, what it's called. The sure or something, something. This arm has a line through the O, so it must be like Swedish. <laughs> is it Swedish? I don't know. Because it, it says road. Ro- yeah, but... road is, I know it's a very good, you know, audio brand. Arm? Brand. Because oh, they okay. make microphones and uh, boxes, too, and things like that. Well, thank you, Rohod, because there's a line through the O, and her for the microphone <laughs> shout out to whatever technology you are all i know is that was our christmas present to each other merry christmas honey yay hooray merry christmas shut up dang it you should be saying happy birthday now no not till next week it is next week is it it's sunday yeah i know that's sunday begins a new week so my birthday's this week it's this friday <sighs> yeah that's right <laughs> anyway this woman i know i'm adorable so i got some great christmas presents which we finally just got yesterday (laughs) because our families could not get together due to covid and disney um so i got these two like they're books but they're also like magazines i guess yeah almost like coffee table books yeah i'm not really sure who got them for me because it just had like two shanna (laughs) i think it was from dad um and they're interesting because they go together. They're both by this group, Amy Bruni and Adam Barry. Um, so then they tell like their stories of places they go. They're basically us, but cooler. And they actually go like visit haunted locations and like do EVPs and stuff. Yeah. So we should, you know. Look them up. Be- become them. But anyway, so I have two different books and I want to start off um, this new year by taking us back to New Jersey to something scarier than the Jersey Devil. Oh, dang it. <laughs> It's getting all excited. Something that's real. So out of their one magazine book, I'm not sure what you want to... I mean, it feels like a magazine, right? But it looks yeah. kind of like a book. I don't know. I think it's a coffee table book. Eh, whatever. There's a coffee table book? And no, it says display until November 28th, 2022. So it has to be a magazine. Huh. Terrifying Real Life Stories of Haunted Houses and Scary Mysteries is the title of this one. Sounds terrifying. Yes. And so in there is a house. What? It's called... Is it Haunted? No, it's called the Watcher House. Do they watch? 
Someone for, does. For ghosts? No. Monsters? You ready for the story? It's crazy. This two-story Dutch colonial at, I think I'll leave the address off here, okay. in New Jersey, in a suburb of Westfield. I so, mean, it's posted in the magazine. It, you're right. You know what? I will do that. This two-story Dutch colonial at 657 Boulevard in the New Jersey suburb of Westfield sold for $1.35 million in 2014. Dang. The buyers, Derek and Maria Broadus, thought they were getting their dream house. Built in 1905, the house had six bedrooms, four bathrooms, and more than 3,800 square feet of floor space. When they told the kids, they said, we brought us a nice house. Oh, gosh. New Year, but same year. <laughs> but there's a picture of it. This is a nice looking house. It's a nice looking house. Uh, they had three young kids, and the house sat on just under half an acre, one of the biggest lots in this idyllic neighborhood. But the Broadduses never moved in. In June 2014, three days after closing, Derek was at the home painting when he went outside to check the mail. In the box, he found a white envelope addressed in a scrawl to, quote, THE NEW OWNERS, in all caps. <laughs> Inside was a typed letter that welcomed Derek's family to the neighborhood, then went all on... All caps. <laughs> Welcome to the neighborhood! <laughs> Oh, boy. Then went on to say that the writer had been watching the house for years and asked if the family knew about the forces inside its walls. And this is a quote from the actual letter. Why are you here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The note ended with a type signature in a cursive font. The Watcher. Two more letters followed, each revealing specific details about the home and the Broadduses, and each more threatening. So their <laughs> quote, planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. Read one of the letters. Police investigations turned up nothing. After the Broadduses learned that the home's previous owners had received a letter from the watcher on the eve of the sale, they filed a lawsuit against them for failing to disclose it. Fun fact, a judge later um, dismissed that suit in 2017. Hmm. In 2019, the Broadduses finally sold the house for about $400,000 less than they paid for it. The buyers were a couple from Westfield, suggesting, according to news reports, that locals weren't that concerned. The home had been owned by only a handful of people since 1905, and no one had ever reported receiving similar letters. People were suspicious not of the watcher, but of the Broadduses. But what I find interesting about that story is that they're receiving nasty letters from some creepo watching their house. Yeah. Okay. And then they sell it later for less than they paid for it to a different couple who also lived in Westfield. Yeah. I'd point fingers at that new couple who bought the place. <laughs> maybe they wanted it, you know, because the letter started on the eve of the sale. So maybe they're angry mm. because, like, they offered a different, like, what is it? They gave a different. Um, yeah, someone offered a. Uh... Less than $1.35 million, yeah. and they didn't get it. So maybe it just was them. I'd be looking at those people instead. But anyway, the story is so creepy that it became the inspiration for a 2022 Netflix series. Which I know nothing about. But if you've watched anything like that. What's the name of the Netflix series? It doesn't say in the Gosh. thing. I'm sorry. Oh, I think it's actually called The Watcher. It could be. Yeah. So, PJ, how would you feel if you got a letter like that from our house? I'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's watching us. It's cool. We're used to it. 2022, one season, The Watcher on Netflix. What's it about? 
Like what happened? A family moves into their dream home only to be plagued by ominous letters, strange neighbors, and sinister threats. So nothing paranormal. Got six and a half out of ten. Well, better than five out of ten. Reviews. Better than a five. I, I, better than a six. You sure? <laughs> it's almost passing. Naomi Watts is in it. Hmm, interesting. And Jennifer Coolidge. That's awesome. Yeah, she's fantastic. Okay, I want to watch it now. So now I want to share something else from these magazines. This one was supposed to be displayed until December 10th, 2021. So it's called Ghost Hunting, the Science of Spirits. Also by Amy Bruni and Adam Barry. Mm -hmm. So it goes over like different... What waiting room has these magazines in it? Um, places we should be at. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Cravering. Our, our people, our friends. Maggie's casket's going to have these somewhere. <laughs> Craven and Casters should put these on sale. <laughs> so in any case, do you want to learn about this puppy really fast before we get into our main feature? Okay. Now, we listen to the sound. How do you pronounce that word? Egregores. Egregores. Not it, Dementus. It's like Gregor, but he's Egregor. <laughs> he's an Egger suit. Egregore. <laughs> But anyway, look at that creepy picture. Okay. Okay. So an egregore is different than most paranormal beings. But I bring this up because we talked about a lot of shadow figures and there being a lot of negative energy at certain places. So things happen, right? Mm -hmm. So these things are not actually like spirits of the dead. Okay. Okay. So to quote Amy Bruni and Adam Barry when they're talking about you know, going to different locations. They said, you know, when they go into a haunted place, they try to build trust with the spirits that are there, even though they can be quite creepy, you know, and mm. intimidating and, I don't know, murder some or something. But anyway, it says here, it's precisely those sorts of outwardly frightening locations where visitors typically feel overcome by sadness, alarm, and worry, where egregores are most likely to appear. And to quote Bruni, she said, they're born of whatever the dominating emotion is in a space. Unlike ghosts, egregores have never existed in human form. Rather, they are believed to be manifestations of negative energy that has been allowed to build up in one area over time. Hmm. So, it's a creation of your imagination. If I were to, you know, get all Dr. Seussian, I guess. Yeah. But Dr. George Owen, who is um, an actual university lecturer... He said, while ghosts are objectively real, they can be, these guys can be created out of the minds of those who see them. So these aren't ghosts. We create these things. Okay. Right? And so there is actually a study for this, which is so interesting. So let's go back to this whole study. Okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Because I went... I'm having a hard time with this one, so... Because <laughs> it doesn't seem real? <laughs> you gotta sell me on this. <laughs> All right. More recently, the paranormal investigators, so Amy and Adam, mm -hmm. were called out to the Oliver Estate, a historic site in Middleborough, Massachusetts, once owned by Judge Peter Oliver, one of the colonial America's first industrial entrepreneurs, and asked to deal with an unwanted, menacing supernatural presence. To do so, they took a page from 1972's Philip Experiment, a legendary parapsychology study undertaken by university lecturer Dr. George Owen, to test his theory. In that study that he had, eight participants invented a historical character and then attempted to summon that persona. So they just invent some character in their minds, and they try to bring it forward. Like they're inviting this ghost to their oh, house. Okay. Okay. 
Not only that. So you're saying if we say if we talk about Zach Baggins enough, <laughs> he will form. In but he's the an actual human. They're inventing something. Well, here. our persona of Zach Baggins. Oh, okay. Zach Baggins. Not Zach Baggins. We're gonna go with Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins. <laughs> Remarkably, they then seem to be able to interact with this character they invented. Not only that. When the spirit was asked about his various traits, his answers curiously matched up with the details the group had created. So again, it's that like monkeys in the paw idea, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. So it actually, actually were able to like invent this thing there and talk to it. Uh-huh. Listen, I found it. I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's cool and all, but... Yeah, I'm going to go with the more so, like, the spirits are drawn now, to Now, hold energy. on. You bring up this story, but you will dismiss... <laughs> The Jersey Devil. <laughs> Something that has been documented by lots of people, including Napoleon Bonaparte's brother. Documented in a personal <laughs> journal. Listen, it, it's the whole, like, so much trials again. He was eating some bad rye bread. I don't believe that. Anyway, why are we here tonight? We're here because I want to discuss the state we were just in. We went to Disney. Mm-hmm. We passed some really creepy stuff. Fun fact. Or within like 20 minutes of it. Gators. No, Bradford's doing just fine. <laughs> Listeners, the entire time we were down in Florida, I would watch out the window. You don't understand. <laughs> looking. What it was like in that car. <laughs> looking for an alligator in the wild. And so. Every body of water. It could have been as shallow as a puddle. There were and, some puddles. That and she was just like, there's a gator out there. <laughs> You're saying wrong. There's gator in there. Mm-hmm. Definitely gator. That's it. <laughs> and then we saw one on Disney World property of all places. Yeah, as soon as we passed through the gates, pretty much. And I asked PJ what the name of the alligator was, and he was like, oh, it must be Al or Al. No, it's Bradford. Stop being alliterative. And No, you skipped a part, though. <laughs> she sees the gator, points at it. Who's a big one? And then the whole car erupts it with three screaming children. Yep. And Shanna. There's a gator! There's a gator over there! You see the gator! And then they roll down the windows. Bradford! It's his name. Bradford! And we're at a red light. And so she's able to like get... And then when I yelled Bradford, though, what happened? Because I shouted this too. He looked at you. He turned and looked at me. And I was like, I went, oh my gosh, he looked at me. (laughs) He would have killed me. He was quite huge. So yeah, Disney World had a gator on its property and a body of water. He was just out sunning himself, having a fun all day. And so later we're looking for Florence, his girlfriend. And then we found Florence at the Haunted Mansion. At the Haunted Mansion. And I'm like, oh, look, she ate someone. That's why this person died. It was a whole story. Sophie and I like were so excited. It, I can't believe that you just picked a name that happened to be one of the three tombstones at Haunted Mansion. Of all the names. Did Sophie and I pick the name or was it an egregor? <laughs> God. <laughs> Did we summon the tombstone? <laughs> Next time we go back, it'll be a different name like Beverly. That's true. <laughs> you assume that Bradford's going to date Beverly? That's alliterative. Again, you're being alligatorist. You have to knock this off. I never said that <laughs> Beverly was going to date bradford no because she just invented now that's not a name it's not a name for an alligator florence and bradford are they have fancy names and they wear top hats this is about as ridiculous as the the idea of an egregor (laughs) 
And then in our pool area, we had an anole lizard that I named Peter. <laughs> yep. And he hung out for a couple days. Because he's trapped in there. <laughs> <laughs> he had bugs to eat. He's fine. He was nice. Anyway, so in Florida, apart from the gators who were very lovely and far away. We freed the lizard, by the way. Yes, we. well, I wasn't there, but you and Eli did. Yep. So thank you for saving Peter. He appreciated it. So anyway, we are going to talk about two haunted locations that we passed and were close to in Florida. I'm ready. Good. My references for this evening are prbweb.com. Perb. Prob web, Perb. I guess. Prob. Perb. Frightfind.com. Hauntedplaces.org. Plaza Resort and Spa.com, News4Jacks.com, and OldCityGhosts.com. Okay. Okay. A lot of stuff because I was pulling a lot of information together. So the first place I want to talk about is the Daytona Resort and Spa. We drove past it, and I believe that's where we were considering staying, and Daytona is where Ray's aunt was mm -hmm. located. So really close to where we were. So you think, when you think Daytona, you think, oh, Daytona beaches, you think, you know, white sand, waves, possibly a Bradford. But anyway, <laughs> you think spring break, right? All the fun stuff. But maybe you should be thinking about paranormal activity. Are we in Louisiana now? Are you scared yet? <laughs> of this accent, a little bit. You put the molasses in your mouth. Anyway, the Plaza Resort and Spa in Daytona Beach is, in fact, haunted. It has been entertaining guests for over a century, the plaza itself and the hotel. It offers, oh, I thought you were going to say the entity. That too. But the plaza itself offers over 300 guest rooms and suites offering amazing views of the Atlantic Ocean and the Halifax River. Which is pretty neat. It was originally built, so it's good in history a little bit, in 1888 as just a large beach cottage for Charles Ballow and his family. Just wanted to, you know, have a house and chill. I cool. get it. All right. This was just 12 years after Daytona became you know, a town and had its first town meeting. Mm -hmm. So Daytona was young when this house was built. Prime real estate. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and actually, Charles was one of the original settlers in the area. Fun fact. So he built this cottage at the end of Ocean Boulevard. Ocean, not Ocean Avenue. No, Ocean Boulevard, PJ. I, obviously. Obviously. Although, <laughs> although it was a summer residence for the Wisconsin native, because Charles came from Wisconsin. All the places to come from, by the way. That's a drive. Yeah. Especially back then. Yeah. Uh, that would be a horseback ride, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that would be a ride. Oof. The cottage was soon expanded and was named the Clarendon. Okay. Almost like Claridian, but no. Clarendon. Then the historic plaza resort and spa officially opened as a hotel on New Year's Day in 1911. So not long after you built the house. Like it was yeah. bam, bam, bam. Wow. Okay. Now the seven story hotel at that time featured a Turkish bath, a barber shop, a manicure parlor, an 18 hole golf course, tennis courts, and horsepack riding facilities. Huh. Yes. They also got to enjoy numerous exhibitions and airplane rides. Wow. Be a fun place to go, right? This guy was obviously rich. That's all I'm saying. Back in the early 1900s? Yeah, I know, right? Airplane rides? I know. Whew. That's risky. And so, to kind of back up two years, because they named this place the Clarendon in 1911, the reason why they had to redo it in 1911 is because in February of 1909, tragedy struck. 
It was the height of the winter season, and a fire broke out, and the entire hotel was destroyed. Oh. Yeah. So that's why they had to reopen it later and call it the Clarendon. Mm-hmm. But during renovations, here's an interesting thing. Many hidden underground hallways were discovered. And I did a lot of research. Nobody knows why they were there. Yeah, especially since it was only made like a few years prior. 1888. Yeah. <laughs> why do you have hidden hallways? That's so weird. And it wasn't like a wine storage area. No, they're hidden yeah. hallways. So hmm. that raises some speculation. Who were they keeping or what were they keeping down there? Hmm. I don't know. Just saying. So the new Clarendon was opened, as I mentioned, in 1911 on New Year's Day. Now, it was renamed the Plaza Resort, you know, years later. So when I'm talking about this, it's the Plaza Resort, but it all has the same name. Now, it is a winter playground for Americans and international travelers. They all head there because Disney World, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In 1925, it became the first hotel on the east coast of Florida to remain open throughout the entire year, too. So it wasn't just a winter playground. Hmm. Now, here's something also interesting. During World War II, the hotel closed down due to the war effort, and they served as a barracks for the Women's Army Corps for two years. So the wax were there. Not your huh. not your mom, mom, but many of them yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in June of 1944, it reopened under a new name with amazingly modern amenities for the era, including central air conditioning and radios and televisions in every room. Dang. Right? Heck yeah. So yeah, so it has quite the history. So yeah. that was... What, 50 years after it opened? Did it as like it's gone through a fire and mm-hmm. has some hidden weird tunnels? And now we have <laughs> all the best features. So, very interesting stuff there, which is why it's haunted. So, what do you want? Do you want to hear about the hauntings now, honey bun? Well, obviously. What else is there? What do you think is haunting there is the question. Whatever was in the, the basement. <laughs> the basement. <laughs> all right. So a recent investigation. And a Gregor. Actually, you probably have seen the video of this online because it pops up and it's like a legit video. A recent investigation into the resort has now shown us another reason to visit, which is the hauntings. Employees and guests over the years have thought they saw or heard strange paranormal happenings. But of course, that was all hearsay until August 25th, 2013. Security camera footage captured what appeared to be a ghost-like figure in the bar and grill section Late at night after closing, the figure moved around the bar area, changing shape. After the security guard saw the suspicious occurrence on the surveillance camera and arrived at the bar and girl to check out the suspicious activity, the ghostly figure appeared to retreat. Hmm. Yeah. So some people say that it is dust or it's a bug. So I want to show you the video really fast. Okay. And we'll post it on our Facebook page. The music is quite epic. And it's just repeating now. Yeah. But, okay. So, yeah, it looks like... I gotta pause this. Hold on. Music is still going. It, okay. it looks like a cloud. Yeah. Just moving around, like, up over a bar and things like that. And it, it, like you said, it's amorphous. It changes mm-hmm. shape. And so that's why, like, even I can't believe that'd be a bug. Because a bug has a very specific, like, look to Defined its body. shape, yeah. yeah. And it, even a dust moat, it's going to be pretty much a circle. This, like, changes shape. It gets flattened out, then it gets round again. Yeah, dust looks like a, a circle. Yeah. yeah. So the hotel security chief, and his name is Chris Lankinvich. I hope it's Lankievich. It's very Polish. But, you know, he actually has gone on record saying this is legit. So, mm-hmm. he, I mean, the fact, the fact that he actually wants to be honest with it and put his name to it showcases that he believes this. Yeah. He said it wasn't dust. It wasn't a flashlight. 
There was nobody in the bar causing this aberration. I went and personally checked it out myself. In the past, I know I have had strange things happen to me at the hotel. One night, I tried to open a door that was not locked. It seemed like someone was pulling on the knob on the other side. I finally got the door open, and no one was inside. Hmm. So, the fact that he even, like, goes on record of other things happening, I just think, I think it adds, again, I like to see validity to these things. But the video is pretty neat. But he said that he was so rattled by the experience that he um, claimed that he actually felt something there. But he also, like, flat out refused to ever enter the bar area again. He's like, nope, I'm not Dang. going there. Yeah. So, um, adding to that, of course, I said that, you know, he's had issues, like, with doors and whatnot. But he's actually um, heard things choose, like, rattling keys very, very loudly. He's felt cold spots in the middle of, like, known heat waves. And he's also heard, like, this repeated giggle sound as he's controlling oh, the don't like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, like, there's no one there and he hears the giggle. I'm like, nope, I'd be out. Other people have also seen or heard supernatural events. Some of the regular ghost sightings include the spirits of a man in overalls. Not like from <laughs> not, not Clyde. Nope. Um, but he's believed to be a maintenance worker. There's also a little girl who's been seen running around, hence the giggling. And a man believed to be a prior property manager. Late at hmm. night, there are experiences of odd elevator activity, such as doors opening and closing on their own. I would not like that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Especially considering that story you found years ago where people like were on the in the hotel or the elevator. Yes, and they went to oh no. Yeah, it took them down beyond the basement in back in time to the old hospital. Yeah, if, if you haven't listened to our Gettysburg series, listeners, uh that is a, just tell tell a story again, just because I I feel bad not giving that out. So go ahead. I mean it's basically what I just said, like uh, this it was a group of people, they mm-hmm. got into an elevator and it they hit like ground floor or whatever and it went past the ground floor past the basement and then it opened up and suddenly they're back in you know the 1800s yeah and they see a field hospital in front of them and they they smell everything and see everything and you know it's they just you know and it's chaos and they're terrified and then the doors shut and then they like go back up were there some stories too like where the ghosts turned their heads and looked at them too i don't know maybe well, regardless, that'd be horrifying. Yeah. So no, thank you. Elevators. Like when I think of that story, every time I get one, I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not in Gettysburg. <laughs> We're okay. Anyway, so throughout the hallways and rooms, though, guests and hotel employees have had other strange occurrences uh, that they really can't explain. For example, it would be the doors. Repeatedly, guests and uh, workers there say their rooms will not open, or they will open on their own. Oh, that's well. great. That's awesome. Including their closet doors. They'll just be sitting there on their bed and their closet door will just open. Boop. I hate that. Yep. One guest even went so far as to report that his front door opened up on its own and he dashed into the hall to see a dark gray apparition floating down the hall. Hmm. Yeah, right? Nope. There are also issues of doors not opening, like I mentioned. So, of course, you go to inspect a room and he unlocks it, but the door doesn't budge. That has happened many times to other people. And, like, they're, like, slamming against the door, really wiggling it. But it feels like someone's against the door holding it closed so you can't get through. And then finally it just does. Yeah. And the one security officer said it happened to him. And when he opened the door, there was a cold spot where he had walked in. That sounds familiar. Yeah, Listeners, if you listen to the episode (laughs) called Dan's Stories, uh, you'll hear a story that I went through that was very similar to that. Yep. 
um, workers too say that when they're in like cleaning hotel rooms and stuff, if the doors aren't locked and they're like, you know, pulled tight, they will open on them. Or if they have the door open because they're cleaning, the door will just slam shut and there's no one there. <laughs> yep. Um, one last comment though. It's really interesting. It said that one guest died in room 1111. So one 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 one, uh-huh. not six six six. Yeah, and this room is particularly active as a result. A person named Mark Zimmerman jumped from the eleventh floor balcony to his death. The drawers in that room open and close, and the doors open and close as well, including the closet. Hmm. I'm not staying in that room. Why not? This is just like the <laughs> Hotel Seventeen Hundred Ninety. Oh We're not gosh. going there. So what do you think we about... We need to tell our 1790 in Savannah stories. We need to do that. We'll put on the docket. You can be in charge one week and just... Okay. Figure it all out. Um, so we're not... We're never staying at the Daytona Resort and Spa. No. Well, we don't really have a need to ever go to Daytona, too. True. When I go down in May to get hooded, it's in Miami. Which is way farther south we're gonna than fly. Daytona. Just, you know, we're going to fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or we take a train. No, we have to fly because I only have so many sick days or and personal days. Anyway. So the next place is the old lighthouse in St. Augustine. Okay. All right. So the St. Augustine lighthouse actually has the distinction of being the first of its kind established in Florida by the new territorial American government. She old. Wow. She really All right. Yeah. The official lighthouse was constructed over an earlier watchtower that was built by the Spaniards. Okay. Yeah, that's how old it is. Wow. I'm looking for Aqua de Vida. They were building this watchtower. And so a quote that I took um, from one of my sources, I think this was um, City Ghosts, quote, the waters around Florida were a maze of commercial and seafaring trade routes. This not only attracted investors, but a lot of pirates and privateers. When Sir Francis Drake attacked St. Augustine, one of the first things the Spanish did after he sacked the colony was implement various beacons and watchtowers along the coast in order to prevent something like that ever happening again. Because it's crazy to think that Florida once had pirates. We never had pirates. Like, because we're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's horrifying, but also cool. Mm Because, like, Florida's down there, like, you know, getting close to, like, places like Puerto Rico and Cuba. The Caribbean. All the beautiful stuff, Yeah. Nassau. So, of course, there'd be pirates around there. But imagine Sir Francis Drake, like, attacked them. <laughs> Which is why this place is haunted. But anyway, one of these watchtowers was carved into the place the lighthouse now calls home. They're mostly made of coquina, taken from a nearby quarry on the island. So, quite beautiful. Hmm. So, in terms of, like, the history of this lighthouse, between the years of 1731 and 1762, so well before Florida is a state. This is over 100 years before it is. The high seas off the Florida coast saw all manner of swashbuckling adventures. It really became that reality version of Drunken Pirates. So I think of Tortuga in parts of the Caribbean. <laughs> that was Florida, which is crazy. So smuggling, decapitation, murder, shipwrecks, illegal boardings, all that and more that I don't want to add in here took right took place like right inside of this place. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Swashbuckling good time for pirates (laughs) (laughs) but anyway uh around 1740 though the watchtower became an actual waypoint for runaway slaves too so it's connected with that Mm. so spaniards not out of a sense of nobility but just to inflame and incense their british counterparts (laughs) just like (laughs) something of that created fort mose just a couple miles from the watchtower the place was a sanctuary for free blacks and slaves fleeing from british occupation so you got pirates 
and you got runaway slaves. Then during the 1760s, the HMS industry sank off the shallows of St. Augustine in a sandbar. A couple of sailors lost their lives to the tragedy. The ship was scuttled and some of its supplies were used not only to strengthen the different forts in the area, but to shore up the lighthouse. In other words, okay, the structure was partly fortified and constructed from the remains of a sunken ship where people yeah. died. Yeah. Yeah. So we got creepy ghost ship. We've got pirates. And we've got runaway slaves. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> In 1864, during the American Civil War, the lighthouse became a point of contention between Confederate sympathizers and the Union. The Confederates stole the lenses and clockwork mechanism, which caused major issues because you need those for a lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. So you had that going, which caused a lot of problems. But wait, there's more. There is also Operation Drumbeat. So this includes the Nazis. In 1942, a German U-boat under the command of Reinhard Hardigen used the St. Augustine Lighthouse as a waypoint for a campaign of terror against oil tankers shipping out of Florida. The boat would raise its periscope and triangulate trading routes for enemy vessels based on the lighthouse's presence and light. So we have Nazis too! (laughs) But anyway... The current lighthouse is over 145 years old. It's obviously still a vital part of navigation. It still works. Um, It obviously has been designed to support military defense, travel, trade, boat building, you name it. And, of course, even pleasure boating and local law enforcement. It's all there. Yeah. So St. Augustine Lighthouse, super, super important. It's also super, super haunted. Ooh. Are you ready for the spoopy? I'm ready. Okay. Because Daytona Spa and Resort is creepy. This is like wackadoodly well lighthouses are like they're i think it's because you're stuck there because they're isolating yeah Yeah. the lighthouse keeper is there by himself for such a long time and that's why i mentioned the egregores actually because if you're there for a long time it can lead to mental illness and upset and you're putting a lot of negative feeling there it can draw nasty spirits but maybe you're creating this own thing because of your mental illness yeah they're called hallucinations (laughs) <laughs> we all need to call it egregores. <laughs> Not an egger suit. Shout out to Men in Black. Anyway. In 1871, the Americans came to a realization that the lighthouse was sinking. Oh, no. <laughs> they did extensive remodelings and reconstructed the old building. A man named Hezekiah H. Pity was assigned the task, and he oversaw most of the construction efforts. Hezekiah. All right. However, so this is a quote again. I think it's from City Ghosts. Hezekiah H. Pity had really restless children. By today's standards, they would no doubt be labeled as hyperactive. <laughs> anyway, Pity constantly brought his kids to work and let them play around the construction site. Oh, no. And then in all caps, big mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay. On July 10th, 1873, the kids are playing with a cart. One of those just carts you use. Jumping and riding around in it. And to quote again, the cart toppled with the kids inside and crashed into the nearby coast. Back then, the surf reached the lighthouse. The two eldest pity children, Eliza and Mary, drowned. There was a third African-American child, but some newspaper reports failed to mention her. Because it was the 1870s, unfortunately. But yeah, so two of his children and their playmate. And a third, yeah. Yeah, died. Hezekiah. Poor guy. He went from dad to husband. He was still a dad. Like, one of them lived. 
Oh, he so he a... had three kids. Okay. Yeah. I missed that part. Well, so according to the story, like he had multiple children, but only two of them, the two eldest ones yeah. died. So. Man, that's terrible. Yeah. Can you imagine like you're just there working, trying to help out society and then, yeah. But according to the operators and staff of the place, the playful ghosts of these children are still there. All right. So again, kids giggling. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. But uh, workers there will find, like, bolted doors from Lighthouse, like, hanging wide open the next day. So it's kind of like, thanks, kids. We locked this up. It's mm-hmm. locked. It's locked for a reason. They it's like often... the Skinwalker Ranch house. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, they often tell tales of the racket of children's laughter in the middle of the night. Uh, okay. And, like, racket's probably, like, less scary, though, than, like, the creepy kid giggles. But it'd be like, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. No, really, stop it. Yeah, thump, 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 thump. <laughs> it's like our house when we try to record it anymore. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, music boxes sold in the gift shop will mysteriously pop open and start playing all by themselves, which is kind of cool. I want to see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Tour guides report increased incidences of being touched or seized by shades while showing visitors around. Oh, wow. As well. Yeah. Don't like that. One worker stated the girl's footprints show up often at the keeper's house and they like to have fun, even at her expense. She said, I have had them untie my shoelaces plenty of times. Now I wear shoes without laces or shoes that cannot be untied. They are just very playful. They like to hang out with the moms, teachers, nurses, and caregivers, and people their own age. Mm. So I'm in trouble. Because I'm a mom and a teacher. <laughs> I'm just like, uh-oh. And currently I'm a nurse. So, Nurse Jackie, let's go on a trip. Just wear Velcro shoes all the time so you know when they do something. (laughs) (laughs) Get that EVP. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. So visitors in Lighthouse describe catching flashes of a young girl dressed in old era clothing gazing out from the Lighthouse door or standing by the upstairs window. This ghost is of a young lady and she's rather pleasant and rarely interacts with the visitors. She's obviously a residual hump, but she's not one of the children. Hmm. So she's just another female. Yeah. However, there is a terrible haunt, and I find it kind of scary and cool because he's called the man in blue. Oh. And so I think of the man in the blue suit in our house. Yeah. Yeah. So another quote from uh, my research here. When he appears, he makes life a living hell for the workers. One lighthouse keeper refused to go back to work because the man in blue harassed him for a whole night, chasing him up and down the 219 stairs of the lighthouse. Eventually, the lighthouse duty had to be handed over to the Coast Guard because of this wraith. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't handle that many stairs just in one flight. And he's gone up and down all night. <laughs> What's scarier, the ghost or the steps? Hmm. <laughs> For you right now. Oh, oh no, my sorry, gosh. honey. <laughs> I, I would just lie down. <laughs> <laughs> you went. Aw. <laughs> Many think that the man in blue is the wandering spirit of lighthouse keeper Joseph Andrew. Andrew plummeted to his death while painting the original tower in 1859. So we don't know, Hmm. but it could be him. Others uh, maintain the poltergeist is of another lighthouse keeper. The man, heartbroken by his solitude, allegedly hanged himself in the tower and was only discovered the next night when the lighthouse failed to illuminate the coast. Visitors and staff describe the overwhelming smell of cigar smoke at the landing of the tower, even though smoking is prohibited on the grounds. 
At night, the current keeper constantly says he can hear boots coming up the stairs, but when he turns around, there's no one there. Hmm. I'm never going to be a lighthouse keeper. No, that's not ever a thing I would want to do. No, yeah, no. There are too uh, many stories of them going insane. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just it just sounds like a horrible, horrible job. I guess, like, modern day, you could Zoom with a friend, like, play board games over Zoom, like we did during COVID with our friends. Yeah, and, and you would have, like... A phone. Th- well, there'd be other, you know, it'd be, like, usually a team of two or something, but still. No, I... Yeah. Ugh. Uh, But there are other stories, many stories of spooky interactions, not just these guys. Guests who wander around the hall's lighthouse, and this is according to the specialty programs that are offered, and by the person who's the manager, her name's Sammy Washburn. She said she gives the Dark of the Moon tours year-round, and she says she's witnessed a whole bunch of paranormal activity with the guests there. And herself. Mm -hmm. So she said, quote, windows open and close when they are not supposed to open, to be open or closed. So that's a typical act of the ghost. And she says they appear in shadowy forms. That's one of the most popular ghosts they see there, actually. And all of the guests see this shadowy form as well. But she said, well, sometimes things are just really, really creepy. Like one time she was locked inside the lighthouse. She said, it was definitely one of those jaw-dropping, I can't believe this is happening, how do we get out moments. Thankfully, I had a staff member who was with me who was going to climb out of the window and unlock the door. Oh, my gosh. Imagine you're on a tour and you're locked in because the ghosts lock you in. No, thank you. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. But also horrifying. But she said it gets more interesting when the guests have those encounters. So she said, we will have people sometimes say they are struggling to climb to the top of the lighthouse. Then all of a sudden, they would feel a hand on their backs kind of guiding them up to the top of the lighthouse. So there's a ghost, like, pushing them up if they're struggling up those 219 steps. So she credits that to Maria Andro, a ghost who usually dresses in white and is one of the other ghosts that Washburn says appears in full body apparition. She was the wife of the keeper who fell to his death. And so she's a very nice, loving, helpful one. There's also the ghost of Peter Rasmussen, who was one of Washburn's favorite ghosts. He was the longest serving lighthouse keeper, working 23 years on the job in the early 1900s. Can you imagine 23 years as a lighthouse keeper? Yeah. I can barely imagine 23 days. Like yeah. A, I want to go on a vacation away from kids. But that much solitude. Like, <laughs> I couldn't. Anyway, so Washburn says that Rasmussen sends a cherry tobacco scent throughout the lighthouse, especially if another guest insults him. So don't speak badly. Washburn says that this has happened before. And she said, a man called Peter, a man called Peter stupid. And as we were exiting the room that we were in, he stopped right in the doorway. I went back to check on him and I got to their side of the doorway and we could smell this whiff of cherry tobacco like someone had walked through the doorway between us. I think that was Peter just saying, hey, I got my eyes on you. (laughs) (laughs) Do we call him stupid just so we can smell the smoke? Sorry, Peter. (laughs) It's not Peter the Anoli Lizard. It's a different Peter. (laughs) But anyway, well, it's not the only uh, place that's actually haunted, though, because the area around it is haunted. Like the lightkeeper's house beside the lighthouse itself is also haunted. All right, so inside the 1876 Lighthouse Keeper's house are rooms full of history and sometimes the presence of those who once called this home. Specialty Programs Manager Abby Smith spends a lot of time there, um, and she says the Victorian-era parlor is kind of where you want to be. She said she gets a lot of visits from the first keepers who lived there, Major William Harnes and his wife, Kate. 
the major died of malaria and tuberculosis about 13 years after moving in. And so she said, we can still hear a cough from the tuberculosis in the house to this day, especially if you're the only person here, you can hear it right in your ear. Sometimes people come in and we'll see an indentation in the seat as if someone had sat down. Then they would hear a long, drawn-out sigh as if to make themselves comfortable after a long day of work. (laughs) And then there's, of course, there's a rocking chair that moves back and forth on its own. There's got to be one of those. Why not? Yeah. Um, And Smith says that freaked out a new tour guide one time who accidentally referred to Harns by the wrong title, Mr. William Harns. And so the chair started rocking like he was angry at him. (laughs) And so she said the rocking chair started to violently rock back and forth. She did not know what she did wrong, so she told the chair to stop it. The rocking chair stopped in its tracks. The tour guide gathered her group, walked back outside, and did not come back into this room for the rest of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Smith also says that his wife pops up in shadow-like figures, sometimes walking rooms or hallways. Yeah. So yeah, we actually passed St. Augustine, the lighthouse, and we they actually have like they have like fun examples of it like throughout. Remember we saw that like one lighthouse that was just like by like a yeah. restaurant or whatever? Yeah. So they have like lots of these like cutesy ones because St. Augustine is like so popular. But it's pretty close to Daytona Beach. So and when we go back to Disney, we should go here and bring a bring a ghost home. What do you think? Well, that's still like two hours away from Disney though. Well, we can, we're gonna be there for a week. Any we'll talk. Okay, we'll talk. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know. What do you think about all this? That's really cool. Lighthouses are freaking creepy as they are, and not so. one alligator was mentioned. Are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. It's okay. One day, one day. At least I mentioned pirates. One day, what? You'll be eaten by one? No, it'll be my friend. Oh, Bradford, I'm coming. Okay. <laughs> anyway all right so welcome back to a new year honey next week i have some more fun stuff planned for us i've been doing research about that creepy house that we ended this the year with oh yeah i got some stuff because you and i both did some research one night and i found some i found some stuff it's not so great like it's yeah so i I came up with the past several families who lived Mm -hmm. there me too a lot of turnover in the past 20 years and i found um well i I don't want to give anything away i just want to say that like it's really interesting so i got to meet up with anthony and show him some pictures he and rose so they can get their opinions on some things so yes i did some i got i got some stuff Hmm. so any case though my listeners thank you for being with us happy new year happy birthday to me happy birthday happy healing and fast wonderful thoughts to pj over here (laughs) And as always, think spoopy thoughts. There it is. 